1: WinBet is now live in all of these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas's fine land in online sports betting and casino play—from boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport—WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now, or visit WinBet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, regular guest on the show, Justin Thomas of Nets Republic. Justin, another letdown from the Nets. They fall to the Bucks, 121-109. How are you feeling?
2: Uh, to quote one of those uh, old uh, family sayings, disappointed but not surprised.
1: Yeah, very true. Obviously, the Nets have been pretty terrible against the good teams in the NBA this season. They have yet to record a win against, you know, the Bucks, the Bulls, the Suns, the Warriors all of those teams that they could possibly see in, you know, a big playoff matchup and the Nets just haven't lived up to the hype in those matchups. And a lot of it is effort. Obviously there's deficiencies on the floor. We're going to jump to that and plenty more, but check the buzz on all streaming platforms. Justin, where do you want to start offense or defense? Uh,
2: Let's go offense. I mean, okay. yeah, I mean, it's and it's just something we keep seeing over and over again. You know, we saw it last game with the Pacers. Um, unfortunately tonight, they're not playing a team as bereft of talent as the pacers or you start off kind of slow and then you you dig yourself a hole and then you just rely on your talent to get you out but when the talent isn't performing then where do you go
1: yeah and like you said, another first quarter, they start down eight, only scored 21 points. It felt like they couldn't hit a shot. They were stuck on nine for like the first couple of minutes of the game. And then you're just like, all right, what's going on? Steve Nash made a couple adjustments in terms of trying to get in some space lineups. We saw a little, you know, Patty Mills, James Harden, Cam Thomas, KD, Nick Claxton lineups. And that's where they typically generated the most success. But obviously there's not that many shooters on the floor. And I think one thing that instantly stuck out was just a three-point shooting. You know, before this game went into garbage time, the three-point shooting numbers for the Nets was four of 20. You know, that's just not acceptable. I saw um, a stat from Locked On Nets they posted in the last two games, and that's have made, I believe, 11 threes. You know, that's a number that we consistently saw last year as a low number for this team to produce. It's just the ability to generate and make three-point shots is a real struggle right now. Obviously, Joe Harris, Kyrie Irving out, but the Bucks are missing an array of guys, including Drew Holiday as well. So it's just like offensively, they're not playing the style of basketball they played last year, and they're not able to kind of create that efficient level of scoring. And defensively, it's a whole different story, and we'll jump into that in a little bit.
2: Yeah, I mean, at, at halftime, the the Nets were shooting 39% from the field, 22% from three. Uh, I mean, I know the Bucs didn't start off the I think the Bucks started off the game, like think, one of seven or like two of nine, something like that. So they weren't really shooting particularly well to start the game. You know, I mean, Bobby Portis doing whatever. But as the game progressed, you saw, especially in that third quarter, uh, the outside shooting really started to take form. Chris Middleton started knocking down shots. Uh, Rodney Hood. Yep. started making uh, shots too. Uh, you know, had for- totally forgotten that Roddy Hill was a part of their roster. Uh, but, but yeah, no, it's the three point shooting is definitely a problem. Um, it has been exacerbated, exacerbated more uh, over the past few games. Uh, it's, I mean, yes, obviously Joe Harris is a miss. Kyrie Irving is a miss. I know he didn't really shoot a lot of threes in his debut against the Pacers, but we know how prolific a three-point shooter Kyrie Irving can be. I think he is the best three-point shooter out of the, the Nets' big three. Yeah, uh, you know, all things considered, at least from a, a an efficiency standpoint. Uh, I mean, there's but, an
1: argument he's the second best shooter on the Nets in general. You know, yeah, like some I, people, I think that he's better than Patty Mills, and like there's an argument he's better than Joe Harris because he has ability to probably hit more contested threes. But in terms of catch and shoot, Joe's probably got the nod. But still, like it's a big miss for Kyrie and the attention he gets off ball. We saw in the Pacers matchup, he's sucking a defender in every time.
2: Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, his ability he can he can pull up for three. He doesn't like because Patty is a little bit limited. Um, most of Patty's threes come off of him, you know, coming running off of a screen yep. um in transition if he gets a wide open look. Whereas Kyrie can ISO into uh a three point look. I mean, it also has to go to the uh the makeup of the team, the yep. roster. I mean, you you see last season you had more viable three point options. You had Landry Shamit, right? High thirty shooter. Uh you had um Tyler Johnson. And Jeff Green, yes. Um, And Jeff Green, especially because he was in the front court, a guy that could hit threes where that's where the Nets are lacking now. I mean, yes, LaMarcus Aldridge can hit an occasional three-pointer, but Nick Claxton isn't hitting threes. Paul Millsap can't get off the bench. And Blake Griffin, we know what happened to his shot, you know. So the Nets three-point woes are definitely, I think, yes, Joe Harris and Kyrie Irving make up a big chunk of it, but the personnel that the Nets have as well is a big limitation to why they aren't successful shooting from distance.
1: Yeah, I agree. And, I mean, I think, you know, obviously going into the season, Sean Marks assumed they'd have Kyrie Irving and Joe Harris maybe, you know, gets an ankle sprain and misses like a week or two. I don't think they anticipated, you know, a two-month absence. But agreed, like, now it's like, okay, Nash needs to make a sub. He needs to go to something. He's always paying a price. You know, it's like, oh, I'm going to put this player in. He might give me offense. His defense isn't so great. I'm going to put this guy in. He plays great defense. Offensively, he's limited. And there's just a lot of those guys on the roster. And I think that's obviously something they're looking to possibly add at the trade deadline and the buyout market. And like you said, you know, Blake falling off a cliff from three was a pretty big factor because he provided them with a real stretch big option last year and getting spacing from the five spot is pretty crucial because it pulls that center away, makes those rim attempts a lot easier, especially for a guy like James Harden, who I think is missing a lot of shots he typically makes, but he's also seeing a lot more bodies in the paint because I thought Harden at a couple of points in this game did a good job of getting to the paint, but it, he wasn't able to either convert the opportunity or didn't get the call from the ref.
2: Yeah, it was it was a weird game to kind of analyze Harden because at first it felt like he wasn't really getting calls. And then as the game progressed, it kind of felt like he was trying to force the ref's hand yep. to make them blow the whistle. And it felt like a regression back to early season James Harden, where I remember we talked about this on the pod, you know, a few games ago, where it's all right, we're seeing the Euro step. James Harden in transition or in the half court where he's looking to score more than draw contact yep. tonight. It definitely felt like he was looking more to draw contact than it was to score. And I get it. The, the refs did miss a few calls. Like we, yep. we, we can't, you know, take that away from him. But at the same time, he definitely fell back into the case of, all right, I'm going to make the ref call the foul as opposed to, all right, I'm going to look to score. And if the ref calls a foul, he calls the foul.
1: Yeah, and I thought he honestly had a couple good isolation possessions in this game where he was able to beat, you know, even Giannis one on one. He beat Middleton a couple times one on one, and I think, you know, going the the Bucks aggressively kind of trapped him when he was running pick and roll with Claxton, forcing Claxton that short roll, which smart move by them, and that's kind of taking him away some of the things that he likes to do. That's why I wanted him to kind of go to that iso a little bit more. But again, spacing's not really there, and then I think, like you mentioned, him not getting those calls feels like he gets frustrated, then he starts to make mistakes or he gets lackadaisical on the other end. I think defensively you know over these last probably two weeks or week he's been pretty rough on that end of the floor and that's something that the nets just can't afford to have because especially when they're playing other guys that aren't great defensively specifically Lamarcus aldridge when those two are out there on the floor it just feels like it's a guaranteed bucket for the other team if they you know just run a decent offense
2: yeah and i think the the effort Factor from Harden on the defensive end is is a little bit concerned. I mean, I, we've always known it's, it's it's a concern, but tonight I sp- especially I saw it where you know there, I forget exactly. I think it was definitely the second half. Uh, I forget what exact player was shooting the three, but the ball gets kicked out to the player on the wing. Harden is the next man in the road to in the in the rotation to get out there, and he just kind of stays in the paint. And then it, it's not till the guy winds up to shoot where Harden actually tries to get out to it. Yep. And it's like, all right, well, you can't really – already, you're already struggling on offense, right? You can't really have a net negative on defense as well. And that's a, that, that's the thing I think the Nets kind of struggle with as well is trying to hide some of Harden's deficiencies on defense. You know, I get it. Like, he's not a stout defender. When he's locked in, he tries. And we saw, you know, he did a, a decent job down the stretch against Demontis Sabonis in the Pacers game. Yep. But, you know, it's hard to make up for the fact when a guy just doesn't give effort. On the defensive end, and I feel like defense is 80 percent of defense is effort. I mean, yeah, you you can have the skill, the lateral quickness, the hands like Kawhi, you know, the switchability like Nick Claxton, but if you just try and give effort, that that that's all you ask for. So when you don't have that, uh, it just creates even more holes for the defense.
1: Especially when, like you mentioned, it's not picking up your job in the rotation. You know what I mean? Like guys are going to get beat off off the ball. Like that's always going to happen because you're not going to have a team of all defenders. You know, so like you need to be able to have rotate and get that help. And from James Harden, you just don't get that sometimes. And it sticks out more given that his offense has been so rough. You know what I mean? Like, if you're putting up a 30-point triple-double, we'll give you, you know, those 10 bad defensive possessions because you probably made up for it. But when you're giving, you know, some negative offensive performances and then negative defense, it just becomes, like, another hurdle for Kevin Durant to have to try to get over for the Nets to get a win. And it's just not to pile on James Harden because, like, I think there's still hope that he can be better and maybe you know some of it is conditioning from him having the week off played really well in those games and now it's kind of feeling the after effect or maybe it's something where he needs to take better care of his body in terms of the diet i know he mentioned when he played well against the lakers and clippers and that you know back-to-back matchup he lost a couple pounds and you know me as i'm getting older i know that like ha- having a good diet when i go to the gym like i need to eat right before i go if i want to have a good workout rather than just kind of like grabbing something Feels like maybe that's something James Harden can focus on. Obviously, pure speculation. Don't know James Harden's diet, but I would assume he he's not in the best of shape and eating the best of things.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, we we see the Instagram posts from him at the gym and working out. I mean, we saw the post. Um, I think it was after the Clippers game. Yeah. When he's doing his post game workout, you know, literally still in his uh, in his game uniform, um, you know, getting some dips in with the weight in in the weight room. Yeah, I just I just don't know. It, it's one of those mysteries where it's like you can't really pinpoint an exact thing as to why certain games he shows up yep. and it's just like all right the hard to old and then certain games he just doesn't um but yeah no definitely when he's not performing on offense the deficiencies on defense definitely show up in a much bigger way
1: and you can really tell the juice in Harden, you know what I mean? Like looking at that Lakers game and that Clippers game on that West Coast trip, like he just played with a different level of effort rather than, you know, what we're seeing in these matchups. And obviously still plenty of time to figure that out. And then moving over to just Patty Mills offensively, they need Patty to essentially be that third score, getting three points and shooting one of eight, one of six from three, three rebounds, two assists, two steals, zero turnovers just isn't going to be enough from Patty. You know what I mean? With these absences they have, they need him to at least give them double digits.
2: In 32 minutes, I mean, you, you're really expecting a starter to have more than three minutes. I, I, sorry, more than three points. Um, I I get it. Like, Patty Mills' offense is predicated off of him running off of screens, you know, being an energy guy. But at the same time, you, you just need a little bit more. And I, I don't know where that comes from, because obviously I'm not, I'm not saying, all right, give Patty Mills some isolation possessions, because uh, yep. that's just not his game. But in the in the grand scheme of things, you need something else from him um, because outside if he's if he's not hitting his shot, you know, no offense to Patty Mills, but he's not doing much yes. out there. I mean, he's not I didn't see him really not to say he wasn't engaged on the defensive end, but he wasn't getting those, you know, steals. He wasn't taking charges, you know, diving on the floor for balls. Um you know, it's it's almost like a uh, it's almost like a Blake Griffin effect. You know, not and then obviously I'm not saying that Patty Mills is, is
1: yeah. Jack might come for you. <laughs> I, know, I know.
3: I know.
2: Obviously, I'm not saying Patty Mills has regressed the level of, of Blake Griffin, but sometimes it feels when Patty is not hitting his shot, um, and he's not doing those little scrappy things on defense, it's almost like he's not even out there. It's almost like the Nets are playing five on four at 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 a time.
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely his strength is that three-point shooting and giving that offensive punch. And then, you know, some of the other things, it's harder to kind of grade out, but he's able to just kind of fill in the role. It's just like he he doesn't have that same level of impact. You know what I mean? When he's not hitting the shots. I will say defensively, there was one stretch where he made a couple good plays on Giannis, but it was mostly because Claxton did a great job of kind of brick walling Giannis. And then he kind of bobbled the ball. Patty just stuck his fingers in there, got that steal. So they just like Patty needs to score more like in a situation like this, because there just really isn't many scoring options we know what katie's gonna give us it's gonna be about 30 points every single night james harden we're hoping to get in the 20s patty you need something to double digits and then after that it's kind of a toss-off we saw cam get good minutes tonight produce 14 points but it's not like he's typically always in the rotation
2: yeah and i, I know we talked about this a little bit before uh jumping on the pod but it's just it's not fair to put patty mills as your third scorer like yep. it's just not he's never been the third i mean I'm even thinking back to the the days with the, his last few days in, in San
1: Antonio. He's still coming off the bench he, a lot of the time.
2: Yeah, I, I don't think he was their third best quarter. You know, he had DeMar over there. I mean, I'd probably say Jakob Pertl was probably <laughs> a, a, more of an option than, than, than Patty Mills. Um, but, yeah, when you don't have that offense outside of um, Kevin Durant and James Harden and you're relying on a guy that's more of an energy spark guy than a guy that can get you a bucket, you kind of run into problems on offense but as you said cam thomas um definitely kind of picked up that slack in this game and which leads to the mystery as to why he was getting
1: dmp's yeah for the last few games yeah it's really crazy because nash obviously played him 28 minutes tonight and majority of those minutes all came with the starters in regular rotation and he was one of the first subs off the bench and it's just like If you feel this way about playing Cam now, then why didn't you feel this way against, you know, playing him against Memphis or that Clippers home loss? Like those are matchups where you feel like his offense really would have been needed. And it's not like he's, you know, knocking down a three point shot at a higher rate, but he's able to create offense and he's able to attack some of those closeouts, just taking one dribble and getting into his beautiful floater that it felt like couldn't miss tonight.
2: Oh yeah. I mean, I I took, I took down in my notes uh, in the second quarter, he had the one floater, which I think was his first basket of the game. And then like you said, you know, he's been struggling with the three-pointer, so I, I loved his second floater where he pump faked um, he, he pump faked on the – he got the ball in the corner, pump faked, one dribble in, floater, got the uh, – and drew the and one, which was – On Giannis. With, well, yeah, which is the third foul on Giannis. And I was like, okay. So it kind of just leads back to the whole premise of, yeah, Cam Thomas is an absolutely lethal scorer inside the three-point arc. Outside okay. is where we get a little, you know, dicey, but inside the three-point arc – I don't think, and it might be biased, I don't know, but I don't think there is a rookie score, a rookie that is as prolific a scorer inside the arc as Cam Thomas. And I'd even beg to say that he's probably better than maybe half the league in terms of generating his own offense inside, you know, 22 feet.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously the potential is there for him to be that guy. And we've seen a lot of scoring and like, he's, he's not really had difficulty scoring at the NBA level, which is kind of crazy to say for a rookie. And like tonight, he scored on Giannis a couple times. Like some of that was the second half where Giannis had, you know, I f- uh, think three or four fouls. But at the end of the day, like a lot of rooks would see him and be like, yeah, I'm passing the ball out to Katie and James Harden. Definitely a guy that can just, and also he creates something out of nothing. You know, there's a couple times where it just felt like, oh, this possession sucks. You know, throw the ball at Cam Thomas. He can do a little something. And it, it kind of almost gets back to the same like mindset of like when you have the big three. Yeah, it team's going to have an elite defender they're going to throw that guy in Kevin Durant they're going to have another really good defender they're probably going to throw that guy in James Harden they're probably not going to have three really good defenders and that's where it's an opportunity for Cam Thomas to kind of eat on some of these weaker guys and it's just kind of just another element that can help the Nets offense so I'm hoping moving forward you know Steve Nash relies on Cam Thomas a little bit more especially in home games
2: yeah, I think that I, I want to say like the the best Cam possession I I thought was when he got the ball second half in the corner, uh, dribbled it a little bit. I think the the offense just looked stagnant at that point. Yep. The ball gets swung to Cam in the corner. He's got Giannis on him, dribble, dribble, takes Giannis baseline, finishes with the layup. Um, you know, I think it was I, a reverse, it, right? It was a reverse, yes. Yep. And you know, you don't want to get ahead of yourself, but as you said, leading on Cam in home games. Cam almost kind of becomes your Kyrie Irving in the sense that he's a good, bad shot maker. You know, Kyrie, we we know how prolific a scorer Kyrie is inside the mid-range, at the basket, at these tough angles where you're like, there's no way that ball's going in. Oh, my God, it went in. You know, clap, clap, clap. Cam is kind of the same way. You know, I think uh, Matt Brooks alluded to it, like, way early in the season, where it's like, yeah, Cam shoots better when his feet aren't pointed towards the basket uh, than when they are, and it's kind of true because – he just makes like you said he makes something out of nothing oh my god the shot clock's running down the possession is kind of stalling out throw it to cam hey cam come save us and on multiple occasions this game cam did save him
1: yeah and i thought i think even like in the other aspects of his game like defensively he still makes mistakes but he at least puts good effort in there and i think rebounding wise like he's willing to kind of dive in there you see him grab some of those balls that kind of get touched by multiple people so you know happy with the way that cam's playing and like we said hopefully nash relies on him a little bit more and i think it's important to play these some of these rookies that have potential to be impactful because you need to see what they can do and if they do have a weakness or an aspect of their game that they're not you know performing at a high level you have 40 games to figure it out and go hey you know like you need to be better at this if you want to play in the playoffs or we need to make a move at the deadline to add you know somebody with this skill set
2: yeah and you know with with cam like, like, like you said, you know, he makes mistakes on defense, but there's, there's never a time on when I'm watching cam on defense where I think, dang, he's just kind of dogging it out there. There's no effort. Um, he actually tries and, and I, I, I'm I'm okay with him making mistakes um, because they're rookie mistakes. It's not yeah. like he's just, all right, he's, he's slow on the, um he's slow to get out to a shooter because he just doesn't care. All right. He may not have known that that was his road that was, his rotation yep. or he didn't cover, you know, the baseline guy because he just didn't know. Um, one of the things I have been very impressed with is his rebounding activity. You know, he had five to uh, five, five rebounds tonight. Um, I remember against Orlando, he had seven for the most part. He's hovering around that four to five rebound range, which is something you don't really see, especially out of young guards. Young guards don't really like to go down in the paint and bang and, and grab those boards um, you know, I made a note of it on, on Twitter in the Memphis game. He was one of the only guys that really went up and got a contested rebound over uh, Stephen Adams, which led to a transition basket for Cam. Yep. So these are the things that, that, that you love to see. He's an energy guy. He can put the ball in the basket. You know what is-
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
2: Let me throw this out there to you. Is it a wild possibility to have Cam Thomas in the starting lineup over Patty Mills?
1: I I don't think it is. I mean, I also am open to the idea of playing both guys, but I get you want to kind of balance things out, but I'm always a believer, like, you could put all your guys in the starting lineup and then stagger them out, but I wouldn't be opposed to Cam getting in that starting lineup, and if you want to bring Patty off the bench where maybe he's more suited, and then he's also going against lesser competition, something he's kind of typically used to, so i wouldn't hate it i think at this point in time they need to try some different things especially at home with these lineups like on the road Kyrie is going to cover up a lot of these flaws as we know he's an amazing player he looked really really good against the pacers but at home i think yeah maybe you can try to infuse some confidence into cam thomas and i like this quote uh, via matt brooks this is Cam Thomas. I'm assuming it's about the rebounding. He says, we're going to figure it out. Just got to hit somebody on the glass and then we'll figure it out. And that kind of alludes to the mentality you had. Like, he's a guy who's willing to fight in there, go up for some contested layups. I think also he's pretty strong for a rookie. He's got a little thickness to him. Like, he's not he like he's not <laughs> a skinny guy. Like, you know what I mean? He really does. I look at him I'm like, okay, like, you're really not getting moved. Good for you, Cam.
2: Yeah, you know, it's funny because you see in, I guess like over the past maybe like two years, I would say you're kind of seeing like this similar archetype of player come out of uh, college. You know, your your Emmanuel Quickly type builds, your Shy Gillis Alexander builds, yep. you know, your um what was it, your Jalen Green type builds, where it's like it's lanky, long arms, athletic as hell, but not a lot of, you know, girth or meat on your bones. Yep. Uh where Cam, you know, he's You know, stock, he's not a tall guy, and he's not short by any means, but he's stocky. You know, he's not going to get pushed around on the inside like, you know, some guys might end up getting done.
1: And I think that's why offensively he can eat contact at the NBA level and still score. Like, you see a lot of rookies, like, it reminds me of a young Karis LeVert. Like, when he got contact, typically would always kind of fumble the basketball, where Cam just eats that, is able to kind of still perform his move. And it's also just, you're you not able to shoot off balance like Matt Brooks alluded to, like, not having your feet pointed at the the rim, like, unless you're able to have such good core strength and balance in the air. And that's something that he does pretty well. So, that he was definitely probably the biggest bright spot of tonight.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's not a lot of positives, really, you can take. Um, You know, Nick Claxton was pretty subpar in the first half. I thought he had a very, very good second half um, up until Nash pulled the starters. Uh, I thought his energy picked up his, his, his play on both ends, the offense and defensive end.
1: Is oh, it me it, or did he like turn into evil Nick Claxton? Like, did you yeah. see them like keep zooming in on his eyes? Like he looked so goddamn mad after they called him for that one foul against Giannis. I was like, Holy shit. Like is he possessed at this moment and then he went out and had like the dunk on Giannis had yeah. the jump ball possession. I was just like, yo, can you please be like this juice up all the time?
2: All the time. Like, that that That's all, you know, we don't ask for much. Mm. Just, just, just play with that level of consistency for the, you know, 28, 29, 30 minutes that you're on the floor. Um, but, yeah, no, he he, he had a, had a solid game, I believe. Yeah, four, 14 points. Uh, what is it, like seven, seven rebounds, I think.
1: Six boards, one assist, one steal, one block, one turnover, six and nine from the field, and two and two from the free throw line. Low-key free throw shooting has been going up for him.
2: There you go. I'm telling you, the badges, he's been in the gym getting his badges up. At the start of the season, we knew it was either he was either going to go one for two or oh for two, and they were the miss was going to come off the back rim. Yeah. Um, but but no, yeah, you know, Claxon, definitely played uh, well towards the second half. Um, you know what? I don't know, D- like David Duke Jr., right? I feel like Nash is putting him in a predic. you know, a bad spot. I was yep. very surprised that Duke Jr. got the start tonight, especially after the way that DeAndre Bemby Bembry played against Indiana. Like and and I, I love Duke Jr. Like I really want him to see the floor. I think that he should see the floor every single night but at the same time i don't think he should be in the starting lineup um getting 21 minutes a game he can provide you with energy yes but at the same time you have a guy in deandre Bembry that can provide you and can provide energy provide more on the offensive end provide you more on the defensive end and it's just i just has a better cohesive fit with the starters and the stars like james harden and kevin durant
1: Yeah, I think at this point in time, he just is uh, more experienced and a better IQ. You know what I mean? Like, there was a couple possessions early in this game where David Duke Jr. looked like a rookie. And it's just like, the Bucks are still a good team, even when the guys are missing, like they still know what they're doing. You know, they have a pretty good system and the guys understand where they need to be. They also just space the floor for Giannis. Like it's four shooters and Giannis out there a lot of the time. And David Duke Jr. definitely got confused in some of those rotations. And the Bucs honestly were just like, okay, we'll let this kid do whatever he wants. Yeah, he had the one, you know, nice pull up jumper. And I think he might've had a layup at another point, but it's hampering an offense that's already not well-spaced and not very efficient. So it's just like, I'm not sure. Like, I would have started Kessler-Edwards, but I really want to start a rookie and get some energy. Let me start someone with length. Probably a little bit more polished defensively in terms of rotations, and I think obviously offers just more length in that rebounding department too. Obviously, I know Duke brings that energy and juice, but he's only like six four. It's not really going to make a difference when you're going against guys that are just truly bigger than you. So I agree. I think David Duke Jr., I, I'm okay if, you know, you want to get him minutes in rotation, but he's also like third on a totem pole for me behind cam thomas and kessler edwards i think i just have more confidence in the potential of what kess could be for this team and helping in other areas where i think david juke jr can help but i think also just another player that brings energy and defense but also doesn't have a three-point shot similar to a Benbury and a bruce brown type of thing
2: you know it kind of reminds me of a david nwaba
1: type mm-hmm.
2: or like, like they have the same like very similar bills i know david nwaba might be a little bit like stronger more cut uh, but similar size, s- similar in how they provided energy and offense for the Nets, you know? And I know, you know, our last memories of David Nawabo, unfortunately, was, you know, his knee injury in San Antonio. Yep. But before that, I thought that he provided, you know, looking at some of, like, the early, like, David Duke Jr. minutes, they kind of provided the same type of thing. Um, you know, you're you're not expecting a three-point shot. If it, if he hits one, he hits one, great. Uh but they're guys that are going to compete in the defensive end. They're going to get out in transition. You know, they're going to get you a, a, a dunk maybe every once in a while. So, yeah, Duke Jr., I think it should be the lowest – I would say the second lowest on the totem – the rookie totem pole. In terms of playing time, I think Dayron Sharp should be the lowest. Not because I don't like him, but just because there's so many people ahead of him. And he's um, got the
1: hardest job. Being he does. a big in the NBA is tough.
2: He does, and especially a, a, a big that was drafted as low as he was – Um you know, every you know, people say like, "Oh yeah, the Nets got to steal," but at the same time, you know, you're you're on a on a, on a def chart with Nick Claxton, Lamarcus Alders, Paul Millsap, um, James Johnson, you Blake know, Griffin. Blake Griffin. There's there's not a lot of minutes to go around, as opposed to Kessler Edwards, who he's someone I I just don't understand because the Nets need literally need a guy like him with his exact similar size, his skill set. He's basically a three and D guy, something the Nets need, and yet they don't play him.
1: Yeah. And the thing is, too, is like he ticks a different box because he's bigger than these other guys. Like he's truly a forward. Like he has the length and he can defend threes and fours. And I think obviously the rebounding department, he becomes a presence because he's a bigger guy, has some athletic pop, too. And then obviously three point shooting. Like I'm not ready to lock him in as a good three point shooter yet, but he seems okay enough. You know what I mean? Better than these other guys where it's like he's confident and taking those open looks. And I think just why not try him? Because I I put out a tweet like, towards the end of the game, like you need to see what you have because he could really be a guy that helps the roster rather than like, oh yeah, it's you know late late in March and we're going to play him a couple minutes. He looks good. Now he's not able to get some of those development and some of that experience and going against NBA competition. So I, I'm kind of confused by why he's not getting minutes and you're rolling with David Duke Jr. so much, not because I don't like David Duke Jr., but I'm just like, all right, you gave him a shot. Give Kessler Edwards a real shot.
2: Yeah, no, and I, I think and, and and minutes don't mean Garbage time. It was like we saw tonight.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, you know, yeah, he got what, six, seven minutes because Nashville the start is great. But at that point, it's just, you know, pick up ball at the local YMCA. Yeah. Um, they're just trying to run out the clock. You know, you need to see Kessler Edwards in actual game time moments. You know, put him in in the middle of the second quarter, uh, put him in, in the third quarter. You know, we and it's not like we haven't seen him perform in higher pressure situations. We saw him against the Raptors. We saw him against the magic, you know, it's a guy that it's not like this is a flash in the pan. And maybe it is a flash man. Maybe we were just gifted with two or three, you know, special outings and maybe he does regress, but we don't know that yet, you know, and you have, it's, I think it's Steve Nash's job to know what he has because God forbid, you know, like, let's let, us let us be honest. It's a team that has a lot of older guys, a lot of injury prone guys. And if, The Nets come to a similar situation like they did last postseason where they have the injury bug hit. You want to know that a guy like Kessler Edwards or Cam Thomas or even David Duke Jr. has the chops and knows what to do in the game when he's playing alongside Kevin Durant or James Harden or Kyrie Irving, you know, or one of the regular rotation guys, as opposed to just being thrown into the fires. like, okay, kid, we need your help. Go do something.
1: And I mean, like, obviously this is kind of a hot take, and I'm not saying it's true, but I'm just saying he has the potential to be – one of the most balanced players in the roster with being at least moderately okay offensively and being good defensively where like we mentioned before a lot of guys you're paying a price you know you're like okay well you know i'm playing good defense i'm getting bad offense where kessler edwards can truly has the potential to be a three and d guy with honestly a little bit more athletic pop and potential of being a decent you know finisher too so I want to see more casts. I think he's a guy I want to see. But just getting back to Nick Claxton, this is just a small note I wanted to mention. Uh, like you said, first half wasn't anything amazing. Second half really turned it up. And I think it could be super beneficial that he had so many dominating plays against Giannis Antetokounmpo. Last year in the playoffs or in that you know first game of the season, he was scared. Giannis blocked him multiple times. He was going up kind of timid and not kind of able to absorb that contact. I thought tonight in that second half, there was some really good takeaways. Not to say that Claxton is going to lock down Giannis. Giannis, but he did a, a really good job on a couple of possessions in that second half, and that's something to really build on for him.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I remember that first game of the season where I think it was, what, the first possession or, like, within, like, Early the first, on, minutes, yeah. first yeah. minutes of the game, and Giannis blocked his alley-oop attempt and then a dunk attempt. Um, and that after that it was just, Yeah, and then after that, it was just like, all right, Claxon is just a deer in the headlights, no pun intended. But, yeah, no, I, I think having big plays and big moments against Giannis tonight definitely does a lot for his confidence. Um, And it's important to the Nets because you want to have a guy that can go up against Giannis toe to toe. And obviously, you know, you're not going to say like Claxton is a, is a Giannis stopper, but if he can provide you with adequate minutes on the defensive end, you know, maybe you don't need Blake Griffin. I thought, you know, maybe tonight would have been a a night that we saw Blake Griffin play a little bit more because of the good, because of the job he did against Giannis in the playoffs and the regular season last year. But you know, if, 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 Nick Claxton can provide that level of defensive, um, you know, pressure to Giannis the way that Blake Griffin can, then, you know, it, that that's a win for the Nets because you're not losing anything on the offensive end when you have Blake Griffin there.
1: Yeah, I definitely am interested to see how it kind of progresses moving forward. I think it's funny in the sense of, like, Claxon was better against guarding Chris Middleton last year, and then, like, in this game, it felt like he had better possessions against Giannis than he did against Chris Middleton, especially that foul and that three-point shot. That's been a little bad habit from Nick Claxon. I think we've seen a handful of them over the last month where it's like – when you close out in the nba you never go straight after the guy you have to go to the side you have to avoid those feet and avoid that contact and clax just hasn't gotten that and i think it's important to note too with him is like he's a guy that just hasn't necessarily played a ton of nba basketball so he's still kind of learning on the fly and that's another reason why it's important to keep him in the rotation making sure he gets big minutes especially in these big matchups
2: yeah i mean i know like obviously i'm not going to compare myself to an nba player but i remember something that you know my co my coaches told me in aau where it's, you know, if you're closing out on a guy three-point line, the odds of you blocking his shot aren't very high, even if you're yeah. taller than them. And yeah. they're not very high because they have that much separation from you. You know, so the most you can do, I, I, if you're going to jump, jump to the side, or yep. if not, run up, chop your feet with your hands up. And Nick Claxton has the length that, all right, yeah, maybe Chris Middleton can elevate over him. But, you know, a guy like uh, Jordan Nawara, maybe can't do that, right? Or Rodney Hood maybe can't do that as easily. Um, It was almost like deja vu tonight with that third quarter, seeing Middleton absolutely abuse Claxton. Uh, It just kind of reminded me of uh, Middleton on Joe Harris in the playoffs last year where Joe was absolutely just on an island and Middleton was doing whatever he wanted. And then the when when Claxton fouled him on the three points, and I'm like, oh my God, this is exactly what Joe Harris did. And that was a big, that was a big moment in the game. The Nets had cut the lead, I think, to twelve uh or eleven, uh, you know, getting a little bit of momentum. They had a few early buckets in the third quarter, and then Middleton hits that three-pointer and one four-point play, and then leads back up to 15, 16. And as we see, the Nets were just not able to get over that hump.
1: Yeah, and the crazy thing is, like, Claxton has some okay habits when he's closing out in the corner because he usually does go to the side, and we've seen him get a couple blocks that way, actually, you know, just get, like, a tip on that. So it's just, like, up top, I, I don't really get it. And I also think some of the problem, too, is just, like, overall, I guess moving a little bit more to the defense is, like, no one really feels confident where the help is going to be. And it seems like at times they're overhelping, now creating an extremely difficult rotation or just opening up an easy pass for guys that aren't even that great of passers to just to have guys open in the corner. And, you know, credit the Bucks, too, for having a good roster full of shooters. But at the same time, you have to understand that. And you also have to understand, like, do I want to give Wes Matthews an open three or do I want to give Chris Middleton an open three? I want to give Wes Matthews an open three. I want to make sure Chris Middleton doesn't get hot because he can impose his will in the game when he does.
2: Yeah, you know, I I always say like Chris Middleton is basically KD light, you know, like when he he's got he's got the length, uh, he's got that same kind of build, you know, when he's on, there's not a shot and there's not a shot on the floor that Chris Middleton can't make. You know, obviously I'm not going to say that Chris Middleton is Kevin Durant, but at the same time we've seen Chris Middleton in the regular season and the playoffs, and then tonight in the third quarter he can just hit from wherever, you know, turn around, straight on, catch and shoot, doesn't matter. Um, you know, and it's, it's kind of hard, like you said, like, would you rather a Chris Middleton shot or a Wes Matthews shot? Well, ideally, I would rather neither because <laughs> I know what type of shooter that Wes Matthews is, too. And to your point again, credit the Bucks for giving a a, a roster, creating a roster that has a lot of shooting around Giannis. Um, there's there's really no slouches. And, and let's not forget, they didn't have Drew Holiday. And like obviously, Drew Holiday's not a, a lethal, sharp shooter, but he can make his shots. Brooke yeah. Lopez is still out, and we know how prolific a shooter he is. Uh, with Grayson Allen has had a great year shooting the ball, but Pat Connaughton, Dante Divincenzo weren't playing. Yep. They can shoot, so you know this isn't you're talking about litmus test. But that's and obviously they have Kyrie and Joe Harris out, but the Bucks had a a good amount of role players out that can shoot the ball just as well, if not better, than what was out there tonight. Um, so it's just, yeah, I don't, I don't know, man.
1: As much as we discussed the offense not being great tonight and there being issues with some of that, defensively was probably more worrisome because of the reasons you just listed. And I think also, you know, credit the bucks they've leaned into playing a little bit more small ball too. You know, Giannis getting more time next to a Bobby Porter. Some of that's just Brook Lopez being out or playing Giannis more at the five and surrounding him with shooters. That's lethal. Like that's just going to be hard to stop. So it's just kind of finding a way and you just have to be on your P's and Q's when you face a team like this because all your rotations have to be crispy. You know, because there's guys that can really punish you. And I think also you need to make sure you're punishing them on the other end and the Nets didn't do that. But uh, talking about another defensive issue for the Nets, we mentioned James Harden, LaMarcus Aldridge. It's felt like every time he's been out there, it's just kind of run, pick, and roll against him. And either you're going to get a a wide open mid-range or three-point shot or he's going to switch on you and he's probably going to get cooked. And I love Aldridge, and obviously it's great he came out of retirement, but I don't know if it's a COVID symptom still lingering or what he's been an absolute bucket for the other team.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's hard to watch, man. It's, you know, for a guy that's just been so good for the Nets for the first, you know, 25 games. And then just to see him get abused on the defensive end time after time after time, it's just, I think I think, it's, I think it just might be a case of teams are just figuring out, all right, yep. this is the guy we can attack on offense. And it's not like the Nets are going to do anything about it uh, because they're so stuck in their ways. And, you know, they're right. And I, I I don't know what you do with Marcus. I, I know what he provides in the offensive end. He spaces the floor. He's automatic in the mid range. Yeah. Like he's a, when that mid range is on, he's a guaranteed 12 to 14 points a game. But at the same time, if he's giving up 15, 16 points on the other end, well, then he becomes a net negative. So I don't know what the Nets really do. You know, you want him there because he's, he, he's bigger than Claxton. Obviously, he's got a little bit more girth. Yep. Um, but Claxton's ability to switch on the defensive end and get to the perimeter is, is better. Yeah. I just, I, I I don't, I don't know what the answer is per se with Lamarck soldier and how the Nets deal with him, but it's got some, something's gotta be fixed. And obviously we still have a long way to go. We're not even at the all-star break yet, but that is something that Steve Nash is going to have to figure out when, when he can play Lamarcus and when he can't.
1: And it's also, I think important for like the person on the floor and like who he's surrounded by, you know, like you're asking James Harden or Kevin Durant to get around a screen Like, they're probably just not going to do it. You know, KD has a hard time because he's so big. James Harden just just never really had interest in getting around many screens. So then it's just like, maybe, you know, like, make sure Benbury or Bruce Brown's out there. But at the same time, that's a lot to ask of them to constantly fight over. And especially, you know, this wasn't tonight, but going against John Morant, I don't think he played in that game. John Morant would have just cooked him up because he just can't move that fast. So it's just like... It's a tough spot. And this is kind of why LaMarcus wasn't getting huge minutes in San Antonio because defensively he was having some real issues. And uh, and to play drop coverage, you really need to be locked in defensively and the Nets weren't tonight. And then to try to play switching with LaMarcus just ain't it. Like that's just something that you just can't do. Like he's a guy that wouldn't be able to switch in his prime. Like asking him to do it at this age isn't really going to work. So I'm not sure what the answer, the big situation, it's like we went into the season like, oh, the Nets have so many different bigs they can play. Right now, it's really like we can play Nick Claxon and everybody else. It's kind of giving me some issues. And even Claxon's not been perfect.
2: Yeah. You know, I like what you said earlier um, about the whole, you know, people aren't trusting others to make the rotation. And, yep. you know, you can see that, you know, because as we say, you know, Kevin Durant, you know, has, he's great on defense. Like, well, that's yep. not like, you know, we can't, you know, say enough about the job he does, but he takes possessions off. James yep. Harden takes a lot of possessions off. So sometimes it is hard for, a guy like maybe a James Johnson or a DeAndre Bembry or Nick Claxton or even LaMarcus Aldridge to trust that, all right, I know if my guy gets by, Harden or KD or Bruce is going to be there because sometimes they're just not. And you saw it. it, it, it there's, there's just a lackadaisical approach to the defensive end that makes others look way worse than they probably should.
1: Yeah, I think the synergy's not there. You know what I mean? And you mentioned it before too, it's like defense is a lot of effort like we saw the nets turning up defensively in the playoffs. some of that was the bucks having some cold shooting games but also some of it was just like they got into people's bodies and made them uncomfortable and forced them to take tough shots tonight they were just giving up way too many open looks and just kind of easy stuff and the Bucks shot 35 percent from three i mean they easily could have shot 40 and even smoked the nets more and prevented any type of comeback in this game so defensively it's a bigger issue right now. They just lost that juice that they were playing with early in the season. And there's been a lot of talk analytically about, you know, there's going to be regression defensively because teams are missing some wide open shots. That's definitely true. But I also think the juice has turned down on the end of the floor. And like I mentioned, the synergy is not great on either end of the floor.
2: Yeah, And and I think the, the thing about synergy is that we see it in spurts, right? Like, yep. so at the end of the Pacers game, that last five, beautiful five or six minutes where everybody was locked in, you know, when 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 Sabonis had the mismatch on Harden quite a few times, you saw, I mean, on one possession, he he, he stayed straight up. Patty came from the back end, got a strip steal. Uh, we saw on one possession where Bembry went over the screen, stuck with Sabonis, and ended up getting a block on uh, yeah. one of the Pacers' guards. So we know that they can do it. You know, it's not a case that, all right, these guys just don't care. Like so It's not like last season where it's like, I don't know if these guys can really lock in on defense. They're just going to rely on their scoring. No, we've seen this team lock in on the defensive end and hold teams, and I, granted, the Pacers were playing with half their team was on 10 days in G League contracts, right? Yep. But at the same time, the effort was still there, right? I, I think even if Chris LeVert and all the other guys were, were playing, I think the effort would have still been there for the line for the final six minutes. But as as we've seen, these guys just don't lock in on the defensive end as much as they should, and when they get punched in the mouth, they punch back, but when the other team punches right back, the Nets kind of just falter. Yeah. And this is a, pr- a problem that the Nets are going to have to deal with, especially with these good teams that are good enough to go up and get toe-to-toe, at, at least at home, right? At least yeah. at home, uh, from this point on, with no Kyrie, they're good enough to go up against KD and James Harden.
1: And like you said, uh, good teams are just going to keep throwing punches at you nonstop. You're up, you're down, whatever it might be, and the Bucks have no fear of the Nets, and there's not really a fear for this team because, like you said, you know, no Kyrie at home, and there's just no Joe Harris. They're not really playing that well. There's not that synergy we saw last year, and there's just not that trust defensively, and it's it's been a, a rough couple games of, what is it, the Nets have lost six of their last seven, I believe, and five straight at home. So probably the worst stretch of the season we've seen so far um hopefully they can kind of bounce back on this upcoming trip we didn't really touch on kd so I guess just to touch on his game 29 points 10 of 19 from the field one of three from three eight of eight from the free throw line nine rebound seven assists one steal one block two turnovers i feel like this is a common saying that we have on here: is like kd did enough for the nets to win nobody else really did
2: yep basically <laughs> i mean it's you know, and it's funny. You see, twenty nine points. I'm like, dang, he had twenty nine points because like half the time it doesn't even feel like he scored that much. And yep. um, you know, ten of nineteen, another efficient over fifty percent shooting from the field. Um, let's see, what are he shooting? One one of three from three point three point range. So basically, right on par with his season. You know, yep. um, I do like the his effort uh, not only on the boards but in the facilitating uh, yep. aspect as well. We've seen his assist numbers kind of rise uh, this year. Um, that, that's something I like. He, I mean, he's tied with James Harden in terms of assists for this game, uh, tied James Harden in rebounding for this game as well. So like you said, KD is doing enough for the Nets to win. You know, anytime your superstar goes out and gives you 29, nine and seven with one steal and one block, only two turnovers you expect to, you know, you expect to, to win. Granted, he did have some foul trouble. I think, what was it? Three fouls in the first half.
1: Yep, and then, and then he got that really early, early
2: yep. in the third. So, I mean, did that hinder him? I don't think so, because right after he got his fourth foul, you saw him make the great play on Giannis forcing the jump ball. So, yeah, Kevin Durant, you know what you're going to get night in and night out. 37 minutes, it's not ideal. Um, one thing I was talking with somebody was that, you know, sometimes it feels like the Nets don't care about regular seat the regular season as much, which is fine. I mean, obviously, like, these guys are good enough to get to the playoffs, and when they're in the playoffs healthy – it's a different ball game. Uh, we see how they are, but you know, if that's the case, 37 minutes, and we know how much Kevin Durant loves to play. Like he would play 48 minutes a game every single night if he could, yeah. but 37 minutes a game for KD, 36 for James Harden. I mean, if we're just throwing in the towel for some of these regular season games, does it really make sense to have such a big workload for these guys? Cause you're just kind of burning through minutes for unnecessary reasons.
1: Yeah, I mean, also, if you think about it, the Nets were able to, you know, let's say, continue with that comeback. You know, Katie's probably playing, you know, close to 40, you know, 45 minutes in this game, 44 minutes. So who who really knows? And I think another thing to credit Kevin Durant is, like, he's putting up these great stat lines, and he's getting so much more attention than everyone else on the Nets. Like, he's seeing multiple bodies all the time. And like you mentioned, he's capitalizing on that with some of those assists. And he probably could have had, you know, easily 10 assists tonight if guys could knock down some of those open shots he provided. Again, you know, KD is doing, doing the work. He's just playing at an extremely high level consistently. It's just about the other guys kind of stepping up and making his life easier. And right now, you know, not many guys in the roster are doing that. You know, tonight it was probably Cam Thomas and maybe Nick Claxton. But after that, I'm not sure I can say many guys helped KD tonight.
2: Nope, not at all. And uh, But you saw a lot of guys helped uh, Giannis. You know, yep. you got you got contributions. You know, outside of Cam Thomas off the bench, you know, I'm not even going to count all the points that were scored. You know, in garbage time, but he really didn't have anything. I mean, James Johnson scored six in 13 minutes. Um, I don't even know if Bruce Brown scored before the the uh, garbage time. Actually, no, he scored one on the on the dunk from James from James Johnson. But other than that, he really didn't provide any help. Aldridge two points. Uh, so the Nets didn't get it, get a lot of help, and as we said, you know, Patty Mills only gave three points. Whereas you look at the Bucks, like look, ten points from Ronnie Hood, right? uh is really only only four points, but Mamu is really somebody I'm really high on out of Seton Hall. Um, he gave good minutes, you know, four rebounds, three three of them all offensive rebounds. You know, he was getting active,
1: and it felt like he deflected a couple off the Nets that turned into Bucks possessions. I mean, yes. he was a real presence on the boards.
2: Yes, absolutely. Uh, Wes Matthews, and then, you know, obviously obviously, Bobby Portis isn't going to give you 25 and 12 every single night.
1: But um, he's good for 10 or 15.
2: But he's good for 10 or 15, and he did it. Jordan Nuara, uh 13 points, had a huge three-pointer in the third, I think I believe it was the fourth quarter, when the Nets had cut, met Nets going on their run, and it was a tough, I thought he honestly got fouled on the play.
1: Yeah, um, how do like hand, gave him like a hand slap?
2: Yeah. Uh, pushed the lead back up to, I think, 15, and like two minutes later, the Bucks put it back up to 21. So, yeah, the difference in the game uh, outside of three-point shooting was Giannis got help from his guys, Kevin Durant didn't.
1: Yeah, and I think it's also, you know, and like I said, obviously the Nets are missing guys, so it's hard to, you know, be upset with the roster, but their roster is, seems like at this point in time better to suited to help Giannis. Obviously, Kyrie, a huge missing piece offensively, same thing with Joe Harris, and that takes some things away, but there's just a lot of one-way players in this team, and it's just like what's the answer here and we mentioned the lack of playable bigs especially in a matchup like this maybe Blake can play maybe Paul Millsap can play but at this point in time in comparison to last year you know Blake's just giving you zero offensively like he he's not hitting threes and we saw him in that Memphis game and in the Pacers game just miss layup after layup after layup
2: yeah I, that's in you know, a leader of the blue collar boys. I think it might just be one of those like figurehead roles at this point. Like he's yeah. kind of a, he's a supervisor more so than an on, on, on you know boots on the ground type of guy. It's like a
1: rap group, and he's just a hype man. Like he yes, doesn't yes, actually rap. <laughs> yes,
2: absolutely. You know, um, yeah. I, I I don't know. And then what's really puzzling to me is I think it's, it's the curious case of Paul Millsap, right? Yeah. Like I thought coming into the season, and this was a it was a great. You know, one year pickup by the Nets, a guy that's going to a veteran that's going to provide you with solid minutes. uh, But he really hasn't. His playing time has been scarce. It's sporadic. You know, he can't really find a rhythm. You know, some games he's on, some games he's off. Um, I thought maybe you could throw him out there tonight just to see what you have. Um, it's not like the that's for getting bullied on the boards like they were against Memphis, but still he's somebody, he can make a three, you know, we see how he is in transition. He's someone, he's not a ball stopper. Actually, I think the offense works very, very well when he's on the floor. Um, you know, he's kind of like, uh, I think as, I think it was maybe you or, or Lucas on the last podcast alluded to James Johnson is how the offense kind of flows. Like he makes the right, yeah. he he makes the right play. So yeah, it, the, the the Nets front court situation outside of KD is a very curious one at that.
1: Yeah, I mean, the only guy that I really like right now is Nick Claxton. I think LaMarcus, you know what he is. He's that offensive punch. He's like a six-man scorer type that can't really play defense. In the right matchups, you should be able to hide him. I think also something you know moving forward the nets don't necessarily have the pieces on the roster to do this but think about hiding Lamarcus on someone that's not a big someone that can just shoot threes and can't really do anything with the basketball because they're less likely to get involved in a pick and roll situation sometimes it's just almost too obvious that we're just going to put them in that situation someone's going to be able to set a good screen they're going to be able to get the switch it's a lot easier for Bembry or bruce brown or even kevin durant to fight over a screen from a guard rather than a big so i think that's just like a little adjustment maybe nash can make an a match up. And I mean, at this point, I'd like to see maybe Paul Millsap a little bit more. I maybe ask Paul to shoot more threes and provide. That'd be an area from the end of the court. I think one area with Paul that's hurting him is just defensively. He's kind of caught in that in between because he's just not as quick as he was to be able to switch in the past. And then he doesn't have the size similar to Blake Griffin to really provide rim protection. So it's just like it almost feels like the Nets made a mistake getting Paul Millsap and they should have got a true big. You know somebody who's like a athletic seven footer so uh, i'm not really sure what the answer is in that in terms of that we'll see what kind of happens hopefully you know kessler edwards gets more minutes in that front court rotation can play some three a little bit but justin any other thoughts on anything from this game or any of these players
2: uh n- no not not nothing really from the players i just think it's a uh it's just asked to put a bow on everything you know it's not it it was another litmus test for the Nets not a good one um you shouldn't have to worry i feel like you shouldn't really have to worry in terms of going going into the game you shouldn't be worried about losing when you have kevin durant and james harden and i feel like we're doing that a little bit too much when you're going up against you know teams like the bucks teams like the bulls and the it's Suns. like worried about
1: getting blown out not even yeah losing
2: yeah you know like I, it's one of those things where at, at the start of the season yeah it was like all right the nets the nets could go toe-to-toe with anybody with just james harden and and Kevin Durant, and then Kyrie Irving was the thing that put them over the top. But now it almost seems like Kyrie Irving is what kind of equals it out a little bit yep. for the Nets, um, especially because you're not getting, you know, as much production from your reserves. And yes, you know, Joe Harris, I I think if, if there's anybody that really questions the, the importance of Joe Harris, at least through the regular season— you just just show him how the nets have been this season with the spacing yeah. and everything like that and that that that's all you need to know you know when we get to the playoffs we get to the playoffs and if he flounders there that that's another that's a topic for another day but
1: and even like, like a flattering Joe Harris in the playoffs, like uh, defensively is another story, but offensively him missing shots, he's still giving the Nets spacing. Like there's, yes. he's still getting respect that just like a guy like Bruce Brown or Bembry or, you know, one of these non-shooters just isn't going to get. And like, and I, I think Joe's definitely underperforming the last two playoff performances, but it's just like, man, like they, they really miss him. And I think it, it gives you more respect and value for Joe Harris. And, you know, I think at times you're like, Oh, we played next to James Harden. He played in some of these systems that were set up for him. He's actually a really good player.
2: Yeah, no, he, he he is, you know, I know there was a lot of Joe Harris slander in the offseason, and rightfully so. I mean, if, if you get outshot... in a
1: million shot, trades. Yeah. <laughs>
2: if you get outshot by Giannis from three-point range in the playoffs, yep. you know, you do deserve a little bit of slander. But, you know, at the same time, yeah, the Nets desperately need Joe, and I think that people are underestimating how much of an impact Joe will have for the Nets once he gets back. Um, you know, and we'll see. I mean, I can't wait for that first game where Joe gets back and it's a road game, yeah. you know, and you finally see like the Nets actually have a healthy squad and we can really evaluate, uh, really evaluate them then. But at this point, you know, we're still not evaluating that as as who they really are, because they are missing two very key important guys from their starting lineup. So until then it is what it is. These aren't happy losses, you know, it just, but it's just part of the slog of the season, I guess
1: yeah I think there still remains a lot of optimism given the whole status of Kyrie and you know I I'm just hoping that he sees his teammates so much on the road and how awesome that is that he just wants to get vaccinated eventually and we get to see him at Barclays and get to see him on the quarter you know I think Heine Eagle was on the radio and I don't know if this is true someone reported this on Twitter and it was you know aggregated so take it with a grain of salt but it said that the Nets were working with city officials trying to work out some try- type of exemption for Kyrie Irving to play in home games and Obviously, they could drastically need him, and and obviously another big point, and this could be the difference in the Nets being the title favorite or even being able to compete without Kyrie, is just the play of James Harden. It's been extremely sporadic, and he's yet to really have a great performance against a great team. You know, he's had good games and great games, but they've all been against mediocre to above average opponents we need to see him put up you know a 35 point game against you know the bucks the bulls or the warriors or something like that so we'll see what happens justin one final question how do you think the nets handle this upcoming back-to-back With the Spurs on Sunday at 12 p.m. and then the Blazers on Monday at 10 p.m. is one of the most unique situations you'll probably see in an NBA schedule going across the country in uh, such a short time frame and only having one game. What do you think happens? Do they rest somebody in one of these matchups? Do they only play X, Y, and Z? Any takes on that?
2: So I'm a little bit upset because the game being pushed to 12 means I can't watch it. Cause I was I was I was gonna be able to watch it going on coming back home on the train you know yep. whatever the regular time six or seven now it's like I can't watch it but it is what it is um it's it's interesting to be honest I we've never really seen a back to back in terms of going from the east coast all the way to the west coast um I think it would be an it because Kyrie will be playing um it is a way for the Nets maybe to rest somebody I doubt they will. Um, If that rest comes, it might come from one of, like, the veterans, I guess. Maybe LaMarcus Aldridge gets another rest day. Um, I can't see KD taking a rest. I can't really see James Harden taking a rest.
1: I might um, tell James Harden to take a rest.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe, right? You know, get get his mind right. But it, it, the, the energy the Nets come out with on Sunday will tell me what they're going to do on Monday, I think. Um, you know, there's, there's two teams that are – I don't – remember what the record of the Spurs was at, at this point in time but they're not one of the upper echelon
1: teams
2: 15 and 23 okay so an under 500 team you go across the country to another under 500 team that is absolutely floundering even with Dame Willard um they've struggled from you know with injuries so you know, this is a chance for the Nets to to do a, a get right like this is you have two subpar opponents um but don't be fooled because they will, especially the Spurs. The Spurs yeah. will give you their best shot. I mean, we just saw them do a comeback effort against the uh, the the Boston Celtics. Uh, so, And they play everybody tough. So, you know, come out with a sense of urgency against the Spurs. Go across country. Take care of business uh, in Portland. And then just get ready for that matchup, rematch against the uh, Chicago Bulls on Wednesday. Another 10 o'clock game, even though it's on the central time zone.
1: Yeah, that's like one of the weirdest scheduling things I've seen in a minute. I'm already annoyed about it. It's not even Wednesday yet, but uh, <laughs> um, so it's really weird that the game is starting at 12 p.m. on Sunday. Like that's a rare start time. That's the
2: the only team that ever does that is the um, the Knicks. The Knicks usually do a, a use like a few matinee games um, throughout the season. So I'm used to the Knicks it's trying though.
1: to take care of that home court advantage. You know what I mean? The players out in New York City. Spurs not so much though, right? <laughs> um so we'll see what happens i'm interested in see what they do with the rest i definitely think a couple guys don't even make the trip veteran wise and then you have them for chicago and then you just maybe roll with some more of those young guys in portland but should be fun i'm also interested to see how this back-to-back impacts the next back-to-back which is against the bulls and okc and now you're playing you know four games in five days and then you have another game against new orleans on the 15th so Nash is going to be forced to play the rookies, I think, in this situation. He's going to be forced to play a lot of different guys and maybe some chances for him to experiment and find some working things. But, Justin, always a pleasure. And big thanks to everybody for listening. Check the buzz on all stream platforms.